Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Hello, my name is Cindy Ann Thomas. I am a principal with Littler and co-chair of our law firm's EEO and Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group. I partner with our clients in the diversity and inclusion space with a focus on advising on as well as developing and providing legally compliant training and education initiatives. Over the course of the past four decades or so, diversity and inclusion has been increasingly regarded as a core component of excellence for many organizations. It's a well-accepted theory by now that diversity leads to higher employee engagement, greater productivity, and increased profitability. And while organizations will invariably encounter challenges in their respective diversity journeys, we are now experiencing some tricky workplace dynamics on the heels of a turbulent presidential election cycle. The past election season has been characterized as the most rancorous and divisive contest that our country has ever experienced. And regardless of what side of the political fence one stands, It was a long 15 months for American voters by any standard. During the campaign season, we repeatedly heard Republican nominee Donald Trump's highly controversial views about countless groups, Mexicans, women, Muslims, African-Americans, inner city residents, people with disabilities, Asian-Americans, prisoners of war, and even Iowans, and Democratic Nominee Hillary Clinton was not without her own challenges. Not only was she skewered for referring to Donald Trump's supporters as deplorables, she was reviled by many as a coastal elitist who ignored millions of Americans in flyover country. But still, the brash reality TV personality's victory surprised many. The fiery debates that made their way into the conference rooms and cafes of workplaces across the country did not cease after Donald Trump won the election. In fact, and despite his promise to heal the country's divisions during his cross-country victory rallies between Election Day and Inauguration Day, Donald Trump's comments and executive orders continue to either electrify or petrify millions. And those individuals are still taking their respective emotions about this new administration into the workplace. It is against this backdrop today that we will take a look at the future of diversity and inclusion in the workplace in light of these recent political developments. And to do that, joining me are two very special guests. Enidio Miguel, who is joining us from Austin, Texas, where he is the managing director and founder of the Multicultural Institute. Enidio, who is a fellow colleague of mine in the diversity and inclusion space, holds a cross-cultural psychology degree and a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And one of my own Littler colleagues, Jean Ryu, is also joining us from Los Angeles, where he is a shareholder in our office there. Jean is one of the core members of Littler's Diversity and Inclusion Council, which helps set the diversity agenda for the firm. And he is also a co-chair of Littler's Ohana Affinity Group for our firm's Asian American attorneys. Enidio and Jean, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for spending time to dialogue around this topic today. Thanks, Cindy. I'm happy to it's be here. It's a real pleasure to, 
have this opportunity. Thank you so much, Cindy. Great. Gentlemen, I feel compelled to kick off our conversation with this seemingly simple question. Whatever happened to that old PC rule about never discussing politics or religion in the workplace? I personally feel like the actual discussion has been taking place for a long time. So it's just never taken place face-to-face or as directly as it is right now. But politics and religions has always been part of the workplace conversation. It's, it's just that now people are bringing it front and center and using that as a way of inclusion or exclusion for their own boundaries. So I think the conversation has been taking place. I personally like to see a new PC which is more of a personally correct conversation. What are the inequities that I experience? What are some of the burns, if you will, that I uh, walk around with? And that PC, personally correct conversation, it's, in my opinion, a little bit more authentic, and it really hits to the impact that some of these uh, rhetorics and words have on all of us. I agree with Anidio in large part that this discussion has actually been in the workplace for some time. And from my perspective, it's come into the workplace with the advent of technology. And now that you've got your Facebook page, your LinkedIn page, your Instagram page, all of these things tend to blur the line between your personal space and your workplace. And it seems like employees more and more are just saying, I'm me in the workplace, whatever that happens to be, as evidenced by these online avatars that they have that are trying to encompass everything in one place. Absolutely, Gene. You are so spot on. And we're going to talk some more about technology in a moment. I'm glad you brought that up. Listen, some will say that a straight-talking Donald Trump waged and perhaps won the war against so-called political correctness. What do you think? You know, for me, Cindy Ann, a straight shooter is not necessarily bad. A direct communicator who wants to express her points of view, that's what we're all about. What does, in my opinion, tip the impact of that approach is the straight shooter's intent. Is your intention to have this conversation with me, is it to hurt me or is it to understand me? So from my perspective, you can be a straight shooter, but if your intent is skewed, then that's going to have a tremendous impact on how the how the other people are either made to feel or how they receive the message. So intent is a big driver of what gets accomplished in, in any conversation. From an employment context, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a straight shooter. And I would say not just in employment context, but in life, you can be a straight shooter and still be respectful. And I think there should be a difference here between um, straight shooting, which Donald Trump does do, and the way in which you present the message, which I think is what both sides are having problems with, and making sure that message comes across respectfully. And like Anidio said, you're able to then discern the intent of the straight shooting. It's easier to have a better dialogue that way. Okay, so both of you. Since Election Day, HR and diversity professionals and employment attorneys who are tasked with training have been greeted by employees with comments along the lines of, I am a proud racist who voted for Trump, and it's great that I don't have to be ashamed of this anymore. You say what to these folks? Is this simply telling it like it is? Is this straight shooting? Personally, we have to be extremely careful that those beliefs and values are not spilling over into discriminatory behavior in the workplace. 
I think that we've always held a belief in the diversity and inclusion space that we don't want to change any values or beliefs that you hold dear. But what we would like for you to become more aware of is how are they showing up in my day-to-day interactions and the way in which I either include or exclude people. And so the fact that people have very different beliefs than others is diversity. It's how are they spilling over in the way in which I treat you or, or potentially keep you from succeeding in the workplace. So, Anidia, allow me to push you a little bit on this. What would you say if I challenged you to dispute a theory that Trump supporters resent the cultural and demographic changes that have taken place in this country in the past 50 years and want to turn back the clock? And let's do this by considering these findings from a 2016 Public Religion Research Institute and Brookings survey specifically with respect to Trump supporters. These are the stats. Let me share them with you. 77% say it bothers them to come into contact with people who speak little or no English. 81% say discrimination against whites is as big a problem as discrimination against minorities. 83% say the values of Islam are at odds with America's values and way of life. 80% say immigrants constitute a burden on American society. 68% say the country has changed mostly for the worse since the 1950s, and 72% say we need a leader who is willing to break some rules to set things right. Thoughts in light of our discussion today. Gene? Not to be too facetious, but I almost want to call out some of these alternative facts. I kind of find some of them hard to believe. (laughs) With that being said, alternative facts, yes. <laughs> but with that being said, I think, I mean, clearly there's a divergence in some of the haves and the have nots. And it's however you want to repaint this picture, whether the haves or the have nots are reflected in race, religion, the economy. There's a variety of different ways to cut it. But I find it hard to believe that people nowadays would say that we're worse off today, especially with the way technology has made lives so much easier. And quite frankly, today, we're living in this much more global economy, global workplace, such that a lot of the things that happened 50, 60 years ago, we weren't looking at a global economy. We weren't looking at diverse viewpoints. We weren't looking at technology and making it so easy for us to talk to people on the other side of the world. So I think, you know, a lot of these folks that might be expressing their concern or their discontent also are kind of overlooking the the phenomenal things that have happened over the last 50, 60 years that have made everybody's lives not just easier, but much better in terms of the way we look at the world overall. And Nidio, I don't know if you have thoughts on that as well. Absolutely. And and I so appreciate you saying that you know, there's a certain reality that in some cases people want to ignore about the diversity that's already in our country and some of the consequences of that. But in spiritual psychology, we have this term that speaks about when you argue with reality, you're probably going to lose. So to <laughs> ignore ignore what's already here, the fact that we have many folks with accents in English, the fact that we have 
religious diversity, the fact that we have people that are first and second and third immigration uh, family structure, to ignore that or not want it to acknowledge it or see it, I think it's really going to get us into trouble because it's confirming how we want to see the world versus the way that the world really is. And in my book, I think that that's always misleading data when we try to manipulate it or or whitewash it, if you will, in a way that doesn't reflect the uh, current reality. Yes. And speaking of immigration, some would say that the immigration ban that the new administration attempted to implement, but at the time of this podcast recording was struck down by the Ninth Circuit, ran contrary to the core principles of religious diversity and non-discrimination in this country and in our workplaces. Fair comment, Gene? I think so. I paid very close attention to the oral arguments, and I think that there was a really interesting balancing act. On the one hand, President Trump is trying to present this agenda of security. And on the other hand, it is absolutely the role of the courts to make sure that it's being done correctly. And I only ask this because I'm pretty certain that we've not seen the last of these immigration bans. It was, after all, one of Donald Trump's key promises to his support base during the campaign season. Right. I totally agree. I think this is going to be an issue that continues to linger. And you're right. All of these types of issues are going to flow into the workplace and cause lots of dialogue, hopefully good dialogue. But that is one of the concerns is that we have to make sure the dialogue is respectful. We need to make sure employers, employees understand that in the workplace, your First Amendment freedoms, especially in the private workplace, do not exist. The private workplace can regulate your speech. That's why we have harassment discrimination laws and that the rules of the workplace are different from being out at a coffee shop and having a conversation with your friends. So, Gene, on that point, people who voted for Donald Trump work at the same companies as those who voted for Hillary Clinton or other candidates. And with the post-election environment that seems to continue to exist, people who work together are continuing to clash over matters of race and sex and Islamophobia, amongst other categories. Complaints will get filed with HR, and companies will have to figure out how to address all of it, won't they? Definitely. Uh, And that's certainly where we've got the overlap in the workplace of our harassment, discrimination laws, and those taking precedence in the workplace to make sure people in the workplace don't feel discriminated or aren't discriminated against. And so you're absolutely right. Our HR folks may have very busy next four years. But hopefully, they reinforce their policies. They reinforce that everybody understands what's going on. And I've had plenty of these types of incidents already come up. And I think the the key message that the companies have to express is, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Hillary supporter, it doesn't matter what political viewpoint you have. There are still different rules in the workplace, and you still need to adhere to those rules. This is a real opportunity for companies to become very value clear. They need to dust off those plaques and PowerPoint presentations that always start off with the corporate value system. And it's such a wonderful opportunity to say inclusion and diversity are real good representations of our corporate value system. And so to the degree in which this tension about politics and beliefs and values 
gets us closer to re-look at the corporate value system and, and stand very clear on it, I think it's a, it could be a very positive thing for organizations. And Edu, I'm glad that you brought up that word tension. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And as, as you know, in EDO, we talk about this in training all of the time, don't we? Mm, we do. But we are experiencing an extraordinary level of polarization, and this dynamic is showing up at work and at schools. How are American employers expected to manage these tensions and manage employees who are arguably entitled to their freedom of speech and political association rights? but who may echo their Trumpian beliefs about Mexicans or how women should be treated or immigration bans, for instance, and still cultivate a work environment that is both civil and respectful. Benidio? This is a time in which if I were leading in an organization, and particularly a global organization, I have to be very aware of any potential blind spots that I may have from a legality standpoint, from an issue standpoint. And it's really important to be very proactive and seek out information that gives me a certain freshness to any legal tweaks that have happened over the last few years, anything that I need to be made aware of. Because just having the good intention of being a good leader and, and hoping that things you know, will not escalate, et cetera, it's not good enough. I, I think we have to be more intentional versus hopeful. And part of that intention will include becoming a learner again, particularly about boundaries and different people's perspective and just not relying on what I used to know but am I really current on what I do know? Gene, from a legal point of view, weigh in. Yes. I mean, there's going to be a lot of training that's going to be involved here. And that's been going on for some time. The companies that get it have been doing training for some time, a long time. And Enidia is right. At its root, companies are going to have to look at this to see if there are blind spots, if there are areas that they've missed, if their training hasn't reached all their employees. At the end of the day, like I said before, I do think this comes down to how do you express your message? Because you can express it in a very respectful way that doesn't strike somebody as being discriminatory or harassing and can start a dialogue and can be very healthy. But if it's coming across in a harassing or discriminatory way, it can lead to legal consequences. And we have a really interesting time. Not that popular culture should be looked at as a barometer of the country, but if you looked at the Super Bowl ads, they had these really interesting and great ads about diversity for the first, I think it was the first two commercial breaks. And it made it very clear that a lot of these multinational companies like Coca-Cola, Starbucks, that diversity was a key and important message for them. And I think for those companies that came out and were strong on that, they're really aiming themselves towards that millennial part of the workforce that is extremely diverse that has yes. a ton of talent. So in some ways, by reinforcing that diversity message, I wouldn't be surprised if these folks are ahead of the curve and are going to win the war on talent that's out there and getting the best types of employees. And certainly that's, that's another reason, right. And certainly that's another reason why companies should really be looking at this diversity issue and understanding what it is at its core. Such a great point. Anidio, anything to add to that? I, I think that diversity has been a pillar 
of this country for centuries. And my concern is that it's being chipped away a little bit and that that pillar has actually withstood the test of time in our ability to be innovative, to be ahead of uh, or in the leading edge of just breakthroughs and breakthrough thinking. So that's my concern, that one of the pillars that make this country great, and I'm part of, I'm an immigrant myself, so I understand uh, what my family and what I was looking for when, when we were thinking about coming to the United States. That pillar is what, in my opinion, is what we have to safeguard. And uh, unfortunately, little disrespectful conversations is like acid rain on that rock that could erode it and ultimately uh, possibly collapse. Well put. Speaking of that pillar and, and speaking about our understandings and definitions of diversity, let's change gears a little bit. White men make up 75% of the new administration's cabinet so far. There are no Latinos, making this the first American cabinet without a Hispanic member in 30 years. Accordingly, Donald Trump has been criticized by many for surrounding himself with people who essentially look just like him. Inidio, is this an unfair assessment of his views about diversity? Uh, well, it's uh, his views about diversity. <laughs> I think that that's um, how the president and others are defining diversity. At some level, I've always been a proponent of having just a wider constellation of input. I mean, when I'm faced with dilemmas and when I'm faced with really hard choices, I love to get different perspectives in, into my thinking so that it gives me just a broader spectrum of choices and, and understanding. So limiting the cabinet to a particular point of view or to a particular ideology, well, it's not bad, it's just limiting. And when you're looking at being the leader of the free world, that involves so many different components of difference, then expanding the cabinet to include more Latinos or people who have voices outside of the White House would be an important consideration to just drive the best decision-making possible. I mean, we constantly hear about how broadly the concept of diversity has evolved, right? That diversity is not all about race or ethnicity and gender, but it's also about diversity of ideology and experience and thought. So are the attacks then against the new administration's top leadership choices that don't appear to be representative of all Americans really fair? I mean, what if the new administration simply has a less cramped definition of diversity than past administrations? Gene, weigh in. You know, I think that's both a fair and unfair statement. You're absolutely right. Diversity is more than what you look like. And so in some regards, I suppose you could say Trump has answered some of the folks that have claimed that the prior administrations pushed the coastal elite into the uh, mix. And at the very least, he's added some of these, what do they call them, flyover states as part of his cabinet and part of the a new voice that's going on. So he certainly increased the geographic diversity. And there's other areas there that certainly constitute diversity. And if you look at a lot of these folks that he's nominating or has already instituted, I think Anidio is right. In large part, they do share a lot of the same message, but they're not all identical. And some of them have some interesting 
histories or viewpoints that might lead us to believe that they have slightly or at least more progressive agendas than President Trump. So, Gene, with this kind of a makeup, what are the implications for policy, particularly with respect to workplace EEO and diversity trends? That is the million-dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all waiting to see how it turns out. It's extremely interesting. And so, in large part, Trump is putting forth a panel of folks that seems to be very pro-business. And the question is, does that mean we're also going to be lax on EEO things or diversity trends? And certainly I hope not, because most of the business leaders that he's put up there have in the past at least expressed the idea that a lot of their business has been aided by diversity. And some of them have seemed to have gotten the message that a more diverse workplace is better for them because it appeals to their customer base and certainly makes business easier and better. And so we'll we'll have to see how all these things shake out, but it will be certainly an interesting time. I just wanted to add that to Gene's point, there's a a, a recent survey that was conducted for corporate CEOs and 85% of CEOs think that their diversity and inclusiveness strategies have improved their bottom line. So it's no longer something that is not quantified from a business effectiveness standpoint. Uh, 85% recognize how it is a tool to improve their goals. Let's talk about the implications for diversity in American workplaces and colleges and universities. When one considers the still officially vacant seat on the Supreme Court and the possibility that the new administration will likely have the ability to nominate an additional Supreme Court justice, given that a few justices are in their 70s and 80s. Gene, talk to us about how these decisions will impact everyday American workplaces. The two big issues, I think, with respect to the workplace are going to be affirmative action and same-sex marriage. And those were both very, very close votes in the U.S. Supreme Court. So whoever Trump is able to get in as a new justice is going to have a big impact on how affirmative action plays out as well as same-sex marriage. And those are going to have not just effects in the workplace, but effects in everyday American life. And so it's going to be, again, an interesting time to see how things play out. A lot of people have been against his pick, uh, Neil Gorsuch, but Gorsuch came out with some interesting opinions with respect to the travel ban and certainly seemed to uh, indicate that the court has a role in playing a check against the executive branch. So he, he certainly showed some understanding of the issues here. But these are going to be issues that might change the face of the workplace, that might change some of the dialogue in the workplace, and certainly are things that companies have to keep an eye on and our clients have to keep an eye on to understand the temperature that's out there in the real world. Absolutely. We saw a clear cultivation of us versus them during the election season. And by them, I mean many, and we know the lengthy list by now. As we have been discussing, there is definitely a new sense of relief, if you will, about being able to denounce otherness that is showing up in workplaces. Let me ask both of you this. Is diversity and inclusion in any danger of going out of style? Or are we prematurely sounding the alarm here? 
it, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I think diversity, it, it, it is. Uh, I don't think that there is any way that we could make that out of style because it is reality. The one thing that's becoming more of a target is the inclusion part. And who do we include? Who do we exclude? It's part of the danger. And, and I'm speaking particularly in the workplace because if talent was brought into the workplace because they were qualified and wanted to contribute, then creating tighter boundaries for that talent to contribute it's where I think could potentially miss out opportunities for American workplaces. So diversity will will never go out of style because it is what it is. It's the inclusion that, in my opinion, has uh, it's being redefined as to who we include and and who we tend to leave out. Anidio, that is such a critical distinction that you make. So definitely appreciate that. Anything to Add to that, Gene? I think diversity and inclusion is definitely ramping up and in no way going out of style. This has been a key issue in the headlines. And so diversity is right there in the center, right there in the forefront, a key component of this discussion that's going on today. I appreciate the optimism that both of you have shared in in your answers to this. So to that point, let's talk about solutions then as we begin to wind down. How do we keep diversity initiatives relevant against this current political backdrop? How do we ensure that organizational leaders who are committed to diversity and inclusion don't give up in thinking, what's the point? How do do we keep momentum going, in other words? Gene, go ahead, please. In some weird way, you just let President Trump talk more. <laughs> and it seems like it seems like he, he almost himself is throwing fuel to the fire and making diversity a, a very front and center issue. Um, let him talk and let him tweet. Let him talk and let him tweet, right? <laughs> In some strange way, he has made this a very important discussion. He's put it right in the middle. It, it's definitely a core issue for his followers, for him, for businesses. And so, you know, everybody's going to have a little bit of a different approach to it, but certainly it's right there and it's going to be in the discussion, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. I, I think that we have needed to scrutinize diversity and inclusion for a while now and really give it a really hard look. And the more scrutiny that I think we give to diversity and inclusion from a workplace dynamic standpoint and intent to stay and people feeling like they can contribute to their very best, I think that the more we scrutinize the strategy, there will be a whole lot of people that are going to be surprised at how much it is part of business effectiveness. So to the degree that it's not just a workshop that it is part of business objective conversations, that people do have respectful conversations. We've been talking about, you know, the way we present things, but also the way that we listen to things that are presented will make a difference. So there's, it's mutual accommodation that uh, we need to be more thoughtful about instead of one side accommodation. And um, the more it gets scrutinized, I think that the more that diversity and inclusion is going to show just how good it is for many, many things. 
Anidio, how do we reframe diversity training or respect in the workplace training going forward? I think that diversity and inclusion needs to be elevated to corporate value. It's the same as you would have, you know, value as from ethics or safety. It, it is not just another initiative. And I think if we move it away from initiative to it's the lens that we see our work through and it becomes a value versus just an initiative, that may get people to recognize the importance, if not already, and also it would get them to recognize their responsibility. If I'm a leader, I'm responsible for safeguarding and modeling the corporate values. And so if, if we change it from initiative to a value, then I think it just has a different, a different feel to it. Point taken. Gene, what can employers do with respect to training and education and perhaps any rules pertaining to the use of social media, whether it is in the workplace or out of the workplace, and this whole conversation that we are having about civilized dialogue. So, Cindy Ann, obviously training is going to take an important place in that dialogue, but I also think it's important for companies to realize and understand that diversity is more than just race and gender. It does include and encompass socioeconomic status. It encompasses the Trump supporters, the Hillary supporters. And so this discussion, we're we're at a great point actually, where it's allowing us this opportunity to have this discussion and to reinforce ideas in the workplace that these discussions need to be done in a particular way that there's obviously your personal time and your work time and things that can and are acceptable to be said in the workplace and things that are not. And that does extend not just to conversation in the workplace, but things that you might be posting or sending or tweeting back and forth between your coworkers. And so I think a lot of people might be in that old paradigm of work is work and home is home. And especially nowadays with all the technology we talked about, with your smartphone, with all these different ways to be connected, that line has become so much more blurred that it is that much more important for companies to be vigilant and make sure they understand what's going on and the attitude that's in their workplace. Some great legal solutions, some great ideological solutions. This has been a wonderful conversation. Any parting comments or thoughts for our listeners. I, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation up front and uh, looking at it from a variety of perspectives, the technology, the workplace, the human perspective, the head and the heart, and also ultimately the success of, of not only uh, businesses, but, but our culture. Gene? Cindy, and I'd also like to thank you for the opportunity. And We didn't get too much into the law in this podcast, which is probably a good thing. I don't know anybody that really likes to hear about the law than other lawyers, but I do need to reiterate that in the workplace, there are certainly different sets of rules and obligations, both of the company and of some of its employees, including its managers. And so it's important for our clients or any other employer to understand what they have to do to make sure the workplace is free from discrimination or harassment and how some of the things that have come from this political discussion might fall into those buckets. 
but alternatively, this that this is again an opportunity to further the diversity dialogue, and for companies to understand that diversity is more than what you look like and encompasses uh, ideologies, religions, points of view, where you come from, geography, and so the discussion is is getting broader and broader and deeper and deeper, which I think is a good thing. Perfectly put, both of you. Anidio Miguel, Managing Director and Founder of the Multicultural Institute. Littler shareholder, Jean Ryu, thank you both for sharing your time and thoughts for what has been a fascinating conversation today. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us at podcasts at littler.com if you should have any questions about this episode or if you would like to discuss any component of your organization's needs with me or another Littler attorney. Thanks for listening. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.